of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. A Ben Slowey type, I should oh say. Oh my gosh, I yeah. love it. Told you I was gone. Um, <laughs> that will make more sense later. Uh, so, uh, here joining uh, with me today uh, is one of my really close, good friends. Um, she and I were Starbucks co-workers at one point. Um, shout out Marquette Starbucks. Um, and uh, she's a poet. Uh, she's she uh, you know got her start out here in the uh, Milwaukee uh, poetry scene and um, she's uh, recently moved back here in Milwaukee and we're gonna talk a little bit about what she does and why she does it so Sam the poet welcome to the show thank you so much my love you're welcome Thank you for bringing me a, a delicious Collectivo shake. Yeah, uh, we're cheating on Starbucks. Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> well hey, I, I, what, what is in this exactly? Remind okay. me. So it is a berry blast smoothie, but I don't like yogurt. Mm. So I got it with a vanilla ice cream in it mm. instead. So that it still has that dairy component, right? Mm. Being a barista, you right. mix shit up. Yeah. Um, but it has cran grape juice. Um, bananas, blueberries, and strawberries. Oh, wow. That's like right? A lot of things I like uh -huh. in a cup. I saw it and I was like, I think Ben would like that. <laughs> and then I got you a cinnamon roll because that's your nickname. Oh my god, because I'm cinnamon roll. Yeah, he's, cin he's a cinnamon roll. Why am I cinnamon roll? Because you are so sweet and pure for this world. Oh my god. <laughs> Have I never told you the reason I call you that? I think you did it like when you first uh, like started calling me that, but that was like two years ago. So. Well, and now I call you Mr. Peanut Butter because you know what that and, means. Right, and now I'm Mr. Peanut Butter. Jack Horseman. It's a great show, and we're <laughs> gonna we are gonna talk about the show. But before we do that, um, so thank you again for bringing this. Um, how's your day going so far? So far, it's good. I got um, I finally got a mattress today. Mm. Nice. <laughs> we were concerned about that last Yo. time we hung out last time. <laughs> and it's so ridiculous to be so excited about a mattress, but I got my mattress. I got Wi-Fi now. I'm putting my life back together. It's great. Hell yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah those are like the real like uh, um, settled in essentials. Once you have the internet, once you have the mattress, that's home now. You know? I've never had Wi-Fi before. Really? Yeah. What'd you do in the past? It's always just kind of already been there, mm, mm. and uh, you know, like included in rent or some shit. And sure. this time, like I had to come in and I, I don't know. It's a little arduous. I feel um, like a true adult. Good, good. I'm glad. I have utilities in my name and stuff. Like, wow. Oh my god. No. We energies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Milwaukee. Right. Yeah. Well, Sam. Um, what we talk about, a Mr. Nice Guy, mm. uh, as you are well aware, because uh, you. Uh, do follow the show, and I appreciate you for doing so. Since day one, my love. Thank you. Very, very sweet of you. Um, we talk love and fear and passion and inspiration and motivation, all things that go into your creativity. Mm. Um, so, you are a very um, down-to-earth and convicted poet. Uh, you've performed at Pride Fest. Yes, for four years. Four years, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. I remember when I first started at Starbucks in April of 2017, like, um, you know, nervous, new workplace, whatever, but I remember you were, like, uh, one of, like, the first people I really connected with at work, um, mostly because I remember I was, like, uh, starting on cashier, you know, that was, like, my... Good old Reggie. Right, yeah. yeah. I was um, on the Reggie, mm -hmm. and... It was my first time ever, like, on a register, so I, like, didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like, oh my god, there's all these fucking buttons, there's all these tabs. People get so... <laughs> you were so stressed out, People man. get so fucking, like, creative and shit at Starbucks, you oh know. My god. It's just so much optimization, and I was so, like, uh, you know, I was a nervous wreck, but I remember you were, like, coming into work on, like, one of my first days, like, and you had, like, such a smile on your face, and you were, like... I'm Sam. I work here. Is this, like, is this your first day? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like, I felt very like 
comforted just by your presence, like Aww. right, like right off the bat. I appreciate that. You're welcome. So I want to start with uh, how you really first started finding poetry and like using words to uh, convey a feeling. Like when did that really start becoming like an outlet for yourself? Oh, well, I would say it became an outlet when I was like writing terrible emo poetry as a teenager. Mm. You know, that angst. But mm. as far as writing as a craft, I found it when I was a kid, like a little kid. Um, I grew up super poor and I loved making, it was just me and my dad, and I loved making him things. Mm. So every holiday, every birthday, every everything, I would make him a card and I would write a cheesy little six-year-old poem. Oh, nice. Um, and it just grew into something that I did all the time. I would just make cards. And then it turned into me actually practicing, like, because I, you know, English is my shit. Like, I have a bachelor's degree in English. Right, um, yeah, yeah. So I was always into literature and writing. And when we got to the poetry section in, um, in American literature, uh, my junior year of high school, I can't believe I remember that, I was just, like, enamored. I was so, I was like, I'm with this. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't find spoken word until freshman year of college. Um, uh, it was my very first Wednesday night event that I went to. I was trying to, like, get involved on campus. It was the first time living outside of my hometown. And there was a spoken word showcase with Nigel Wade and Dasha Kelly. Shoutouts. Um, Shoutouts. Um, both of them helped me grow as poets. Mm -hmm. Nigel, who is doing amazing things in Japan now, um, wow. he helped edit my stuff. Um, he called me the Little Spitter. I don't know if that's still my nickname. Little Spitter. The Little Spitter, yeah. Nice. Um, Love it. He helped me first start to write, and then um, Dasha's mom. So she helped me with my internship and getting me involved in events. She introduced me to Pentastic. I did my Body Love Showcase with her in 2016, where it was kind of like a vagina monologues-esque thing. I interviewed hundreds of women in the Milwaukee area about beauty and what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, and then October 2015 was my first time doing my own poetry on stage. I opened for my dear friend Carlos. Okay. Um, who is still in touch with me, also doing incredible things. He has a book release next month. I'm so proud of him. Sweet. Um, like, <laughs> just, poetry's brought so many incredible people into my life. Um, Asia, of the Asia Project. Um, I opened for him, like, my last semester of undergrad. And he was just like, and I made, it, I made a joke because I was introducing him to the stage because I was also the MC. And I was just listing out all of these things he's done with his life. And I'm just like, I want to be Asia when I grow up. And then I did a poem, and then I got off the stage, and he took the mic, and he goes, please just be Sam when you grow up. Mm. And that was like... That's real. That yeah. was an amazing thing. And then I still have this memoir that Carlos gave me after I opened for him that night. And it like, he gave me his memoir for free, um, Man Up, which is huge. Yeah. It's a big deal. You should read it. Okay. Oh, cool. um, yeah. <laughs> it's all about toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. um, stuff that's very much real and important. Yeah. And um, he just wrote me a little note in the beginning of the book about how I captivated the stage, and I was just like, yeah, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I had already met so many, so many people in just a small amount of time. Um, yeah, just, just like being able to be in a room with a bunch of people who actually give a shit about what you have to say is amazing. Mm. Um, because everybody in that, in that room, they don't know exactly what you're going to bring to the stage. Mm -hmm. And then once you bring it to the stage, they're just like, oh my god, she brought it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and it's just, it's this whole community of just like, be vulnerable, break out of that box, like use this platform for what you need, um, what you want to do, what you want to spread, who you want to be. And, of course, people transform over time. And I look at the poems that I wrote when I first started writing, and I'm like, I don't know who that Sam is anymore. Yeah. And then I look at the poems that I've written, like, a few months ago, and I'm like, I don't know who that Sam is anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just keep evolving through these poems, and I'm just like, I look at it, and I'm just like, there's some poems that I wrote when I was in a really bad place. And I read them now, you know, growing and getting out of current situations mm -hmm. and I'm like 
I'm happy that I'm not there anymore. I might be here, and this might suck, and this might hurt, but I'm not there anymore, and if I can get out of there, I can get out of here. Yeah. And I can do that through my poems and through spreading that truth on that stage, and it's the most incredible feeling after you do something that you like, you poured your heart into, and you're like, I don't know if people are going to like it, like, what if they don't, oh my gosh, and then they come up to you after you're set, and they say, that changed my life. Yeah. Or, I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget, I did a body love poem, and one of my classmates came up to me afterward, and she started crying, and she told me that she was talking to this guy who doesn't fuck fat girls, so she was starving herself, and she's like, I'm not talking to him anymore. Like, that poem, literally up on a stage for 30 seconds. And she decided oh, wow. she was never going to talk to this person again Holy because shit. of a poem that I did. Good for her. And I, I was so proud of her, and I, like, I held her, and I gave her my paper copy of that poem so yeah. that she could read it if she ever felt weak. And, like, just knowing that something that I wrote can give someone that kind of strength was mm -hmm. just, like, so... And the amount of times that I've almost quit. Yeah. Um... The amount of times I haven't felt good enough, the amount of times I, like I, I went to New York for grad school so that I could grow as a poet, and they didn't know how to teach me. Mm. Literally, I, semester, the first semester, one of my professors looked at me and she just goes, why are you here? Like, you're clearly talented, but you can go to an open mic for that. And at first I was really spiteful, I was just like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Um, I only then, moved across the country like like I only busted right? my ass for three years to be in grad school. Yeah, right. Um, and the following semester, I heard basically the same thing, um, in a nicer way, where it was, I don't know how to critique this or grade this because I've never had a spoken word poet in mm -hmm. my class. And I looked at it and I'm just like, all right. And so I was like, fuck it, I'll go to open mics. And I did. And two months later, I had a feature with Inspired Word That's in exciting. Brooklyn, awesome. which was amazing. And Mike Geffner, if you're watching this, I appreciate you so fucking much because that was an exhilarating experience. And I met so many people um, in grad school and at those open mics um, who are all just like, they have so much to share. Um, and just like, me and my friend group and like all of us have this different writing style and we have something different to offer and mm -hmm. it's just like you bring all of those people in one space we will change the fucking world mm -hmm. and we can and we will and like being in that space <laughs> like i've been so depressed and i've been like all right we're gonna go to this open mic even if i don't go up on the stage and by the end of it i'm just all like there's a meaning to this life mm -hmm. it's just like it's even if you're not planning on going up on a stage and doing poetry, if you don't write it, being in a space where poets are sharing that is just so, like, yeah. it's groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. It really is. Totally. Well, that's all really uh, impactful stuff. Um, yeah, I totally relate, like, and I totally hear what you're saying, like, about how being in a space full of creatives is a very, it's very inspiring, it's very beautiful. It gives you some sense of euphoria that you, that really does give you like that, like this is like, you know, why I keep doing what I'm doing or this is why I'm even still here. Mm -hmm. Because like having that sense of um, connectedness with your surroundings and knowing that everyone else in that room has that is sharing that sense of connectedness mm -hmm. simultaneously is like I don't know like I, I truly do believe like that's like the meaning of our lives mm. you know is to feel things um, whether it's the most horrible and dreadful emotions you can be going through which all of us right which, huh. which, which you and I bonded over heavily. Um, you're like feeling anything is a sense of humanity. Mm. Um, and our entire, um, you know, life consciousness is thinking and feeling things based on that thinking. And, you know, like 
we live to feel as much as we can because it does it it uh, contributes to our evolution. Hmm. So, yeah, I like like that's kind of a tangent, but but basically, like it's I, I like those are like the you know the beautiful moments that you know we all live for, and that like it reminds us like you know why we carry on through bullshit and why we keep you know why we you know keep creating something out of nothing because we know that like it's it's within us Mm -hmm. to do you know Mm -hmm. and it's easier to have people it it's a lot more joyful and easy to do when you're around like-minded people that also are chasing chasing after that same thing and see that in you Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's um so the people that really got me involved in the Milwaukee, I mean, Dash is where it started, yeah. but um, Aaliyah and Destiny were the main two. Shout out to Aaliyah McCann. Love Aaliyah McCann. Love Destiny Fletcher. Yeah. Um, they were the main ones that really got me like captivated and like bringing me to events and encouraging me to write and all that stuff. But I think it's also kind of, in my experience, it's a dangerous balance between being a creative and being mentally ill. Um, people romanticize it a lot. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Nanette by Hannah Gadsby on no, Netflix. Okay, it's fucking incredible, you need to watch it. Um, but in it, in her special, she talks about how a guy came up to her after her set, and she's a comedian. And he goes, it's really important that you feel because you're a creative, so you shouldn't be taking medicine for your depression. And she got so upset and she's like, that's not, I'm allowed to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean like, you know, so, and I've had experiences where like, I'll meet someone for the first time and I'll, they'll find out I'm a poet. They want to know my trauma right away. Yeah. It just like goes hand in hand. They want to know like, oh, well, you must be mentally ill or oh, you, what's your struggle or, oh, like, do you have a rape poem? I do, but that's not the point. Um, like, it's like this box that they try and put you in. Right, and it's yeah. just, it's, it's like a dangerous thing. And I've written about it. I've written about how people need to stop romanticizing mental illness. And like, you don't have to be mentally ill to be a creative and you don't have to be creative to be mentally ill, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Right. And you can be creative and mentally ill and not have to write about that part of you. Right, yeah, that's key. Um, at my feature, I did my poem for manic depression. And so many people have told me to not talk about being bipolar because um, it's such a stigmatized thing yeah. and the reason that I did it was because I know people who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder who do not accept that part of themselves so the reason that I wrote that poem and the reason that I performed that poem even though it is a stigmatized thing um, is to give voice to that is to put that out in the universe that it is okay yeah. it is alright right. um, but it's also just like a dang it's a, it's a it's a dangerous balance. Um, That's. I feel like in a way it, it uh, comes back to separating an artist from their artistry in some ways because it's like by that by them doing that like mm-hmm. they're defining you by you know what you're making your like why you have that outlet in the first place and they're defining you by like what you might make poems about Mm -hmm. they're defining you by basically whatever it is that you're putting out there but they're forgetting that you know you're you're a human being first and you have to take care of yourself right well and it exactly and it's also like um (laughs) it's also like um if i'm going through something rough and I don't want to write about it. Like, one of the people who know I'm a poet, if I'm going through something hard, they're like, well, why don't you write about it? It'll be a really good thing. And like, I, I see where you're coming from. I know that you love me and care about me and you want me to keep writing. But at the same time, it's like, I don't have to write about that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. Right. Um, I, if I don't, you know, if I want to keep something for just me, then I can keep it for just me. And it's like, I don't have to write about everything and my and it's also like if I'm writing in a non-poetic context like if I'm signing a card or I'm, I'm doing something like that or I'm writing a letter or whatever whatever like I 
literally all I wanted to say to somebody was thank you I appreciate you so I wrote thank you I appreciate you and the person that was like passing around this card was like you're a poet I expected more out of you and I'm just yeah. like right you're put under that just expectation that everything you need to do has to be so grandiose yeah right yeah I, I think that's that's something that people need to stop expecting out of creatives it's like it's like that's like going up to a rapper and being like oh dude you rap freestyle for me you know <laughs> or like oh you shit or like ben you ben you do podcast dude set up a camera let's do one right now right here mm. like no fuck off dude like that's not what i like i don't want to think about that right now you know, and you shouldn't have to think about turning every little thing, every interaction, every feeling you have into something that, you know, is like has to be a greater deal than it ha than you want it to be. You know, it's well, like it's forced you're, like you're you're set with that whole like precedent, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, like I am proud to be a poet. I'm happy that people consider me a poet because I know that when I first saw Nigel and Dasha up there, I was like, that, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and like, now that I'm actually, people actually talk about me in the context of being a poet, I'm happy that like, I have that title. But at the same time, it's like, that's just part of me though. Right, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that to just, that, I, that's a part of me. Right, that's, yeah. that's, I'm not just, I don't need to, like, I, you have other hobbies. I want to I want to have permission to be speechless. I want to have yeah. permission to not know the words to, you know, anything like that. And like for the beginning of my journey, I was not allowed mm -hmm. to have that space. Um, it was like, no, you have to write about it or oh, you always know what to say or you're always so eloquent or you always can find the words. And like that's what keeps me writing because it feels so good when I write something and someone tells me like I've always been looking for those words and I couldn't find them and you found them for me like that make that makes me feel really good but at the same time it's like to have a consistent pressure on you to need like to know what to say and stuff it's like yo I'm broken right now right, I, need, yeah. I need to not yeah. have I, I need to stumble over my sentences yeah. like I need I need that allowance right um yeah, yeah. other thing other people thing that like group of people that deal with that a lot too are comedians you know they're just expected Tell to be a joke right they're yeah. expected to always be funny like everything they do or say has to have some has to like you know have a punchline make you laugh whatever like that's why a lot of comedians are depressed because like they watching that uh, i will yeah like she I, talks about it. I totally will because like i know that um I was listening to like a special where Conan was on Mark Marin, and um, he was talking about that, you know, like how a lot of comedians are just, you know, just always expected to, you know, put on a show like everywhere they go and they mm -hmm. can't be separated from that. And it makes it hard for people to take them seriously or it makes them hard, makes it hard for audiences to see them just as a human being. And that goes for any creative, no matter what you do. Separating the artist from the human being is yeah, important. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. So, uh, the gayest poem ever written. Ha! The gayest poem I've ever written. I actually uh, retitled that to Lesbian Sex Makes Time Travel Possible because I want you to know what's up. Right, yeah. Because that's like the, the main line in the poem sure, is Lesbian yeah. Sex Makes Time Travel right, Possible. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, uh, that one, that's like, is that like your signature? Um, I think it, I think it is my signature now. Um, and now a poem for manic depression also is. Sure. Um, cause that's like the big poem that I wrote while I was in New York. Um, and I'm really, really proud of that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, lesbian sex makes time travel possible. And then before that, the million dollar dress poem. Right. Yeah. Huh. Was, was, was the one. For sure. That people knew me for. Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. I've seen the videos. But I'm also trying to do the Insta poet thing. So I'm doing a lot of like short form, trying to practice with like, I met people through grad school that just like they're wizards with form and I'm just mm -hmm. so clueless cause I can't do syllables and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just look at them and I'm just like, right. you're incredible. Like, yeah. 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 Aaliyah, Aaliyah was talking about that a little bit where like, that's for like 
math becomes a thing in poetry is like the She's syllable 100% right right the yeah. syllables the word count mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot that there's a lot that goes into it and like i hate that like specifically slam gets shit on all the time it's like anything can be a poem and it's like i mean technically yes but there's also a lot of stuff that you need to put through it like it takes practice it's not mm -hmm. just like you know i don't know it's I hate hearing my craft get shut on is what I'm saying. You're right, yeah. Yeah. But oh, yeah. there's just like, there was a lot of like my friends, Danny, Amber, and Jasmine. Um, we are the poet laureates of that gay shit. Uh, <laughs> they are doing like amazing open mic stuff in New York. And um, like, they're amazing with form and with syllables mm -hmm. and like the history and the context and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I strictly do spoken word and not like that's less than, it doesn't make me less of a poet at right. all, but it's more so just like this whole other world of stuff that I didn't even consider and like I, I just watch them work and I'm just like... Yeah, yeah. I'm honored to be like one of you. Really? Yeah, totally, yeah, for real. That's, yeah, like, it's like when someone told me, uh, I remember before I even started the show, someone was like, I don't know how much people listen to podcasts anymore. I'm like, dude, people, if any time to be starting a podcast is, it's now. Because, like, <laughs> people love podcasts these days. And, and like, yeah, my, my show isn't, it's not like other shows necessarily. Like, it's sort of like a hybrid of a talk show and a mm -hmm. podcast. But, yeah, like, I feel like that way and just being involved in the creative scene in Milwaukee in general is I'm just... I'm honored to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I'm honored to be a part of something bigger. I'm honored to be able to uplift uh, my peers and friends and other talented people in some way. Right. Um, I might not make music. I might not be a poet. I might not make movies. I might not uh, do a lot of things you'd think of when you hear the word creative, the first things that come to mind. But that being said, you know, creativity is a... Um, it's, uh, it's a component of our minds that we all, that is unique to all of us. And it has such versatility with what it can mean for that person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel the same way where like, I'm just so like, I get really excited seeing people in a way working towards like, you know. A very similar aligned goal mm -hmm. as, as myself. Well, and promotion is so important. Yeah. And like, hence I've name dropped so many people. Right. Yeah. In this interview. Shout out to Big. Yeah. It's 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 like um, when I was still in New York and Schlee did Femfest. Shout out Schleeberry. Schleeberry, love you. Yeah. Um, I promoted that. I'm like, she technically doesn't need my help because she's a big fucking deal, mm -hmm. and like people know who she is. Yeah. But I'm still, as an artist, as a fellow creative, I need to be like, go see Shlee. Yep. Go see right, yeah. Um, and like, Destiny's gonna be featuring, and you better believe that I'm sharing that shit. Nah. And like, uh, when I first moved to New York, she did a feature in Brooklyn, and I'm all like, oh my god, I live there now, you can stay with me. Right, yeah. And she did, and she was selling books, and I handed her cash, and I was like, I wanna own the first book that you sell in New York, and I do. There you go. You. <laughs> You, you said, you came, saw, conquered. Right For there. real. Yeah. yeah, and like, um, even if I know that I'm not going to be able to make it, I'm just like, hey, my friend is doing this thing, doing this thing. Like, and I think that that's so, so important mm -hmm. to get that word out and like to support each other. Um, and like, I think one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've gotten about poetry is from Dasha. It was when I was doing my internship with her in 2016, and I, I, I told, I sat down with her and I told her, I'm like, I'm tired of feeling like a selfish poet. Like, I feel like I only write about my struggle, and I don't want to just write about my struggle, yeah. which is why I did the whole project. And she told me, and she's like, you could write a poem about a mole on your knee, and someone can come up to you and tell you that it made them see themselves different. You can change the world with a poem about the mole on your knee. So don't call yourself selfish. And sometimes, and I actually do literally have a mole on my knee. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. So like, sometimes when I'm feeling really low or I feel like I need to quit, I'm all like, I can change the world about 
with a palm above my knee. Right, yeah. Um, and like that, I think that was like the big striving point where I was just like, shit, mm -hmm. like I can, <laughs> I can do this. Right. Um, so yeah. That's, yeah, that's real as hell. It's the matter of the words and the emotion you put behind it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? You could be really passionate about this mole on your knee, you know? I mean, hey. Well, and then, like, collaborating has also been, like, a really um, awarding experience to be able to work with people and, like, seeing people's different process. Like, I'm kind of back-ass words. I start at the last line. I know how I want a poem to end, and I go from there. Sure. Some people start with a concept, and then they just kind of, wherever it ends up. Mm -hmm. Some people, first line, all right, let's go. I start with the last line. Interesting. I want to know how that poem is going to end. I want to know the emotion that I want to leave that stage with. Yeah. And then I write the poem based off of that. Sure. Well, yeah, that's, that's a very intuitive way of doing it. I, I'm so far, I'm the only one that I've met that does wow, it Wow, that that's way. cool, yeah. But. Oh, you're yeah. saying unique. I'm, I try. <laughs> um, sure. So, yeah, I, I want to uh, examine so your uh, poems. Um, so, Million Dollar Dress, uh, yeah. that one's about, like, being, wanting to be, like, that, like, being looked at as very special. To that one is more so knowing my worth even if you don't. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't... And I actually wrote, I wrote that one because um, it, it was the morning of my body love showcase. And I was looking at my project and I had everything together and I'm like, oh my god, I did this. Mm -hmm. I had like five, I had like five poems in a row and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I did this, I'm going to be up on a stage for like 30 minutes, just my work, like I'm so excited. And I was like, something's missing. And I wrote that poem that morning and I performed it on stage that night. Yeah. And it just, I, like, and when those moments happen, I literally, like, I'll literally start writing on an oatmeal bag at work if I need to. Because if, if a poem starts coming to me, I don't want it to fall out of my head. Mm -hmm. um, I do the same with notes in my phone. Yeah. When I can pull my phone out. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, I wrote it that morning and I, I was just, I was, I was very much coming to terms with, um having been abused as a kid and like um toxic situations and thinking that you know being neglected was normal and like not knowing how to be loved not like choosing people who didn't know how to love like it, just abandonment issues yeah, right. like all kinds of all kinds of right. stuff that was um kept setting me up for failure mm -hmm. that kept setting me up for pain um and like i you know i was just I stayed away from relationships for so fucking long because of all of those things yeah. and like I was like falling in love with poems and in return they helped me fall in love with myself. Mm -hmm. um, and like I always say that uh, when people ask me why I started writing because it's true. Like when I started writing it was very much just a, I'm going to write this for you. I'm going to write this for my audience and it is still for the audience but it is very, it has been a very like coming into my own process mm -hmm. where now I write it because I needed to right. and if I perform it and they like it that's an amazing fucking feeling but if they don't I can still walk away knowing that I wrote it because I needed to right yeah um and that's with the manic depression poem like that was a big one and like I'm really happy that people like that one because it is really vulnerable I'm yeah. literally putting like Here's my diagnosis right here on the stage, um, and like people don't know how to handle it mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wrote that because I needed to, and I wrote it while I was manic. Mm. Oh, oh. And you can tell that I wrote it when I was manic because I perform it speaking really, really fast, mm -hmm. um, and like all over the place and stuff. So. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, on the topic of like abandonment, like, do you feel like having such issues of like having felt like alone, you know, struggling to, you know, find acceptance early on? Like, do you feel like it makes it hard to let people in? Like, yes. Yeah. Um, I struggle with the same thing. For a while, um, it was very much. I wouldn't let like. 
I've always been a person who approaches situations with love. Um, I, I'm hella naive. Like, I believe that people are good, even if they're not. Um, Me too. And, and that's just, you know, I, and I think you can see that in my writing. Um, but I, um, I dealt with my abandonment issues where I wouldn't let people in on that depth of a level, I would tell you things that I was comfortable writing about, and then you didn't really get to know anything else. Yeah. It was kind of like a surface level thing. <laughs> <laughs> I did the casual sex thing, um, and like, just dealing with, because it's like, if, if, if I invest in this person and they leave, it's going to break me. Yeah. So I very much just always kept that arm's length. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, I think, why I, I wrote this poem called Your Love Poem. Um, where I, Andrea Gibson is like one of my favorite po poets mm -hmm. and they, they just have this way of writing with like such love for the universe, even though the universe is cruel. And like, I listen to button poetry a lot, which thank you Aaliyah for introducing me to button poetry. Um, and Rudy Francisco does, if I was a love poet, and he basically writes like, I don't usually do this love poet thing, but if I did, and then he writes a love poem. Mm -hmm. And I, then I just like went on this spiel and I started like watching all of these love poems like Neil Hilborn and like Olivia Gatwood and like all these different poets, uh, Danette Smith, like just all these different poets speaking these love poems and I'm just like, I want a love poem. Mm -hmm. So I wrote myself one. No, good. There you go. Uh, I want that. Yeah, I want that. So I wrote myself one. And um, I... Uh, and just, you know, that, that experience of, like, who I was and how I got through things and, like, looking at how much pain I caused myself because I wasn't willing to examine those things on, like, a, a deeper level. Um, and then, like, watching that progression through my poetry. Because it's like, I can read a poem and I can be like, I remember exactly what she was dealing with and how she was feeling and all these different kinds of things. It's just so raw and like on a philosophical level it's just like what depth do these words touch you mm -hmm. um so yeah well makes sense why uh you went into existentialism like uh i can love existentialism right existentialism shout out existentialism <laughs> existentialism yeah and it's so funny because one of my one of my dear friends was my professor at el Vernal, amy shapiro and Donna Engelman, um, both of them like really helped me love myself. Like, cause coming, like not even just the fact that they're philosophy professors who understand like all of this stuff that I really wanted to understand, just like they would see my poems and I, I would have like no confidence in them and they'd be like, you need to dig deeper because I could teach a class on this. And I'm just like, oh shit. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was so painful because 2017 was a really fucking hard year for me. Um, spring of 2017, I was in a feminist theory class right after being raped over winter break. And like rape culture is discussed in right. these kinds of classes. So that was like a whole thing. And the same semester I was in the vagina monologues. Right, yeah. So that was very cathartic. Um, that was right around when like we, we first met. became friends, yes. yeah. And then that summer was kind of like painful. And then that fall, I was in existentialism, and my dad died. Yeah. So I'm just like, what are the odds of like me being in these classes with Amy, this professor that I respect and adore, and the parallels in my life? Yeah. And I introduced. I introduced, I'm pretty sure I introduced both of them, but I know for sure that Donna and I have discussed Bojack Horseman, because that show is just fucking phenomenal. Right. Like, so, shall we? Let's talk about yeah. Bojack Horseman. Right. Speaking of, like, existentialism, um, yeah, Bojack, um, absurdist comedy, um, very, um, very, like, unlike, and there's, like, no other show like it, um, yeah. I, I, like, I had heard it was a good show before you, like, kind of told me about it, but then last year around this time I started actually watching it, and 
Yeah, I... It's just so amazing how it juxtaposes, like, such, like, like, witty, like, humorisms, and, like, it's really, really funny, but then it it puts that in line with a lot of real, like, um, adult-related issues, like, uh, you know, depictions of alcoholism and depression and abandonment and, you know, how the more you run away from your problems, the more you hurt the people around you. That's a real, like, super fucking real thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Also, um, self-help gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, but just, like, like, you, I don't know how to talk about this without it being, like, a huge, huge just series of spoilers. Oh, right. Um, yeah. But basically, once you actually get to start to understand, because episode one, you're just like, who is this piece of shit horse? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, who, who is this? Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> and he's basically, um, he was in this show, Horsing Around, in the 90s, and he got his fame off of that, and it's been like 20 years, and he hasn't done shit with his life, but he made so much money from that that he doesn't need to work. So he spends like all of his time... Do, doing nothing except like getting high and fucking random women and like all this different stuff mm -hmm. and then you get to really understand like he starts writing this memoir because he wants people to love him again and it's like right there episode one you're just like okay this is gonna be a self-love journey mm -hmm. um and then you you know you meet princess carolyn who's just like she's clearly been so hurt and, like, she has different unhealthy coping mechanisms, like, uh, when Diane is going through it. And Princess Carolyn shows up, and she's just like, and Diane's like, why are you helping me? And she's just like, because my life's a mess right now. And when I think things are falling apart, I compulsively help other people yeah. to make me feel like I'm not falling apart. And I'm just like, yo, mm -hmm. that's so real. Um, and then um, when uh, Bojack falls in love and they break up, and she says, it's funny, when you look at something through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. And, like, that was such a, that was, that was real. I, I think I sobbed for, like, a day after that one. Wow. Um, yeah. And, like, it's, it's, you know, Bojack's abusive relationship with both of his parents manifested as an abusive relationship with himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, like, his consistent, like, battle, like, that became him being a narcissist, where nobody is to blame, like, except, like, he's not to blame, Every, everyone else, and then you just see him, you just see him destroying everything around him. Yeah. Um, and then you have, like, the innocent bystander of, of Todd, who's, like, too... I know you don't like Todd. <laughs> yeah. Ta -ta 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 -ta. Todd's not my favorite. Yeah. Um, and he has his moments. And then you have uh, Mr. Peanut Butter, who clearly has a, a whole series of his own issues, but he has this optimistic, we're going to approach life with light. Mm -hmm. Because why would you want to live any other way? Right, yeah. And that episode where they have that argument and Bojack finally admits why he hates Mr. Peanut Butter so much because you're happy yeah, yeah. and I want to be happy and I don't know how to be and it's just like yeah it's just it's an exam it's like on a, like on a literature standpoint it's like an examination of like well what is happiness right and then on like a, a subtext context it's like okay so what it what is happening in, in this thing like what is Bojack feeling? What is what is Mr. Peanut Butter feeling? Like what, where where did it go wrong? Where does he come from? Where does he come from? And it's just it's just like this whole journey. Mm -hmm. um, and then like just philosophically, it's like, what does it mean to be happy? Mm -hmm. Is happiness achievable? Um, is happiness one thing, or is it a bunch of different things to different people? Mm -hmm. Like what is this concept? Because it's like you can ask someone, are you happy? And then they can think they are. And then you'll look at it from the outside looking in it and you'll just be like, but how? Or you can think you're happy and then actually not be. You can like convince yourself that you're happy, which I've done. Um, and like 
people just be like, all right, well, she's happy, so I'm not going to look into it. Yeah. And then there's actually, like, really dark shit going on. Mm -hmm. Diane. Diane. Yeah. Um, she was my favorite for a really long time. Um, she was my favorite character for a while, and yeah. then... She might be my favorite, too, actually. I think she, she still is. It's more, like... She and Mr. Peanut Butter, I love. You're yeah. Mr. Peanut Butter. Um, <laughs> I also love Princess Carolyn, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, Diane's character is now starting to come to terms with her own traumas and her own issues that she kind of just pushed to the side because she became so focused on Mr. Peanut Butter. She was so focused on writing Bojack's book. She was so focused on what's so fucking special about me that both of these people love me. She, you know, she she had her own series of whatever. Um, so like, she's going through it right now, and I'm really excited to see where she goes yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, because now you know Todd is also expanding beyond being in this little fucking bubble that Bojack had him in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. I think that describing Diane in that way is sort of what you were saying um, to preface everything with how like you compulsively help other people when you're not happy with yourself. Um, I definitely always I, I kind of saw yeah Bojack and uh, uh, and Mr. Peanut Butter as like diametrically opposed of like you know how an adult lives like they're both like two washed up actors like sort of like you know they're in the same like phase of their lives you know they're they're middle aged and they're you know their lives are not nearly as glamorous as they used to be but it's it's entirely um but their mindset is entirely like um opposite from each other like Bojack is depressed he's you know still just trying to find really like immediate satisfaction in situations and he'll fuck over anyone he can to get that mm -hmm. and he is you know and he you know he's he engages in substance abuse and he um he's just really what it looks like self-destruction which becomes you know, destruction of your surroundings in general. But then Mr. Peanut Butter is, like, not necessarily, like, things are going as well for him either, in a, like, throughout the series, you know, especially with, like, his divorce with Diane. Spoiler. Um, but, um, but he's so happy, like, the whole show. Like, he's just, and I mean, it, it's a fitting, uh, fitting character choice that he is a golden retriever. Um, because, you know, like, when you think of dogs, they're just so happy and so, like, affable. And, and they live for the moment. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Peanut Butter is, like, like, yeah, he gets pissed off from time to time, but only if he's, like, really, like, provoked. And, like, I think Mr. Peanut Butter is, like, what it means to be, like, somebody who may not have things going very well, but still has, like, you know, a positive outlook on life and still enjoys life for the moment. Another show that actually does that in, like, a similar way is Spongebob with, um... The See, I'm a terrible 90s kid. I didn't grow up. That's okay. No, I'll... Yeah, and I'll explain, because I was watching this interesting video, but, like, Spongebob and Squidward are, like, two... two people that have, like, basically the same life situation, but it's... but they're completely like opposite like um personalities and how they cope with it and deal with it like both their lives kind of suck mm. but spongebob is so happy go lucky like he's so cheerful like he's full of joy squibbard sucks he's arrogant he's <laughs> he's pretentious he's <laughs> angry like he hates everybody he's mm. miserable I think in the same way, Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter sort of share that dynamic too. Like, and it's it, it really does take a really um, powerful and also very personal uh, personable look, like a uh, examination of mental illness and how it affects one's position relative to the rest of the world. So, 
Well, and also, like, because Bojack does all these manipulative, controlling, toxic, like, abusive, destructive things, and then you, like, you get to see him actually examine those things, and he hates himself for it. Like, he doesn't want to be that person. Right. So it's also that philosophical of, like, you define your meaning. You define your existence, like existence before essence. Right. So like you're not here for a specific reason. You need to figure out what that reason is. And right now, that reason that you're choosing for yourself seems to be to fuck up everything around you. Yeah. And you don't want that. That's the existentialism. Yes. Yeah. So you see, you see him realize, oh, I did this fucked up thing. I really shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? And like looking into his childhood, you see where it's coming from, but it doesn't make it okay. Yeah. For how he treats people in right. adult life, especially with um, the teenager. Yeah. Um, right. Where he realizes, like, I wasn't even trying to do that, and it's just like, okay, the, but but you you did. Like these actions are your own. It's it's not like you know, um, so that accountability um, and just also just like the exhaustion of where he's coming from, because it's like he can see that he's being so so fucking destructive, like with Sarah Lynn. He can see Rest that he's being, peace. yes, like she was sober for how long, like she was doing so great, and then Bojack just comes in, hey, you want to get high, and she dies, like, and this is someone who's trying to, like, turn her life around, and he comes in and just fucks it up because he's sad that day, Yeah. and it's like, and he's looking at that, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm, whatever, and then he's wondering why he's alone, and it's like, because you keep making, you, you keep hurting people. And people are not required to stay in one spot and allow you to hurt right. them. Yeah. Like, they're not. That's so true because, and you see this with people, they have this, like, this uh, complex where they can keep, they can fuck people over all they want or take advantage of people, but those people are always still going to be there. And they're going to be back to, and, like, they can, and that, you know, this person will always be able to, like, come back to them and, like, you know, they're basically like just allowed to treat people however they want and get away with it like i like i know people personally like in my life that you know have just yeah like yeah they've been through like difficult childhoods or they have traumas or whatever and but it caught instead of dealing with it properly and like you know you know seeking therapy or seeking you know some kind of health healthy coping mechanism they you know, they, like, try to seek a lot of that, like, that satisfaction and validation from those around them, and they leech onto those people. That leads to, you know, them just fucking people over and taking advantage of them, lying, being manipulative, you know, shit like that. Like, Even being abusive. Being abusive, right. Like, all, like, it's all pretty, like, interconnected. Like, people that are abused like, have the capacity to engage in abusive behaviors, like... Usually. Yeah. yeah. Right, like... And, and it is up to that individual to be like, I want to break this cycle. Right. And that's, I think, a huge part of why Bojack has not broken out of that unhappiness, is because he's not honest with himself about what he's done. Yeah. Because he doesn't look at it like, Sarah Lynn was sober, and I fucked that up. No, he looks at it as, we did one too many drugs. Yeah. Or... He doesn't look at it as, you know, that little girl that he almost had sex with is traumatized now. He looks at it as like, you know, because when he finally does come to terms with like, I'm trying to fix it, he goes about fixing it in another toxic, destructive yeah, way. Right. So like, it's really important to break out of that, of that cycle with being honest and validating what you've done wrong and actually being better. Not just saying, I'll get better actually putting in that fucking work right. to be better because otherwise you're gonna leave somebody there to fix what you broke mm -hmm. and that's just that's not what you that's just not what you do to somebody that you care about and literally in like the hardest thing for me to come to terms with was that love is not enough like you can really love somebody but how much are you gonna allow them to break you down before you're like I can't do this anymore yeah yeah. And that's really difficult. Um, and, it, like, it's, 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 like, and you see that, you see that in Bojack, where, 
he starts weeding people out of his life because they're just like, I'm tired of being hurt. Princess Caroline in particular. She very much is just like, I wanted this life with you and you just keep using me and hurting me mm-hmm. and expecting me to be there for you when you're ready. Um, yeah. Todd too. Yes, Todd too. Yeah. That That's a totally different kind of relationship, but still. Right. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially with that manipulation of, uh, oh, I'm going to help you with your rock opera, but I'm also going to sabotage it so that yeah. you can think that you failed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I think going back to what you're saying about, like, happiness being, like, what does it mean to be happy? Like, I think it's very subjective, yeah. Very subjective. Yeah. Um, there are objectivist things about being happy, mm-hmm. but I think that everyone's avenue of that is different. That's where the subjectivity comes in. I think it's a, yeah, I think it, I think happy is a very connotative word instead of a denotative word where it's like, you can look up what happy happiness means in the dictionary, but right. that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to fit. Like it's a very connotative word. Yeah. Right. It's a very, I mean, it's an emotion. So of course it's a very emotional right. word, yeah. but. Right. It means like you're, you know, you're just content with your surroundings. You're content with yourself. Um, and like. And that those mean something different for every. Like for example, like people have different uh, comfortabilities with, uh, you know, how much space they need. Some people are very extroverted and need to be around people all the time. Some people need a balance of both. They need to be around people at some points, but they also need their alone time. I feel like I fit into that category. There's people that prefer to spend most of the time alone, with occasional times of like being around people, but. Being around people isn't always important to them. They're happiest when they're in their own element. Mm-hmm. Introverts. Um, that's an ex- that's just an example it's of like a component of being happy, um, and it, that's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, what your hobbies are, or what your passions are, or what a, a, a success in your day looks like. That's a big one. Success Be- in general. Right. It's different for people. Yeah. Like a success could be for somebody, I got out of bed today. Mm-hmm. A success for somebody else could be, oh, I wrote a fucking symphony today, you know? Mm-hmm. I like it, it it's all it, it depends on where somebody's at. You know, it depends on what is important to them at that time. Mm-hmm. And it it's it also matters like, you know, what they hope to gain or accomplish from it. Like you said that the Sam that wrote poems a couple months ago is very different than the Sam now, and the Sam that wrote poems a couple months or excuse me, a couple years ago. Like you wanted different things in your life at those different points. Mm-hmm. You also uh, were in different different plans for myself. Right. If I was in different emotional spaces. Right. You had different wants and needs at the time, mm-hmm. and your definite like what you thought was making you happy back then could be. In, completely different than what's making you happy now and like I know the same way like yeah like I kind of um, think back at certain times in my life especially like that summer where we became friends like which was the summer of 2017 I think back about how fun that summer was but it was because it was what I wanted at the time if I had that lifestyle and was in that position now I couldn't see myself being happy with it mm-hmm. like and and that's okay. Like you know, I'm a lot happier with my surroundings now for where I've grown and for where I am at, I'm at in life now. So happiness also evolves. It also just evolved a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that everyone that's watched this far should think about what happiness means to them and like what they feel like it derives from most in their lives right now. Because you know, I think that. A lot of us are very anxious. We can, we're, you know, people are depressed, people are antsy, people are just, you know, struggling to find meaning in their day-to-day lives for, to, you know, to a greater, you know, uh, to varying degrees. And I think we have to first examine, like, well, what's wrong in your life? Or, like, what's what needs fixing in your life? Or what... What does give you that meaning, that sense of happiness? Like, what helps you, like, 
feel wholesome, what helps you find that joy that, you know, you like that you, you might only be catching glimpses of day to day. Like, but what, like where, what is that? Where is that coming from? I think everyone should ask themselves that like, what, like, where is my happiness coming from? Where is my negativity coming from? And that builds self-awareness as a, as a result. And it helps somebody gauge like what they need to do for themselves. Yeah. And it always gets easier with time, um, which is the thing I'm practicing right now, is like it's some days I have such a fucking hard time, I cry all day, I'm like healing, I'm doing all these different things, but my advice that I give other people that I'm also trying to follow for myself, do one good thing for yourself a day. Yeah. One good thing. Because once you start doing one good thing a day, it can be turned into two good things, three good things, four good things, and then the next thing you know you're always doing good things for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, and you know, again, subjective, it could be... I took 10 extra minutes and, you know, uh, with my hair today. I, I, I ate something that made me feel good. I drank water. I took a shower. Uh, I, I did a podcast. Today. I did a podcast today. Yeah. I, I put on lipstick. Yeah, you did. I did something good for myself. I did something for me. I went and bought yoga pants. You did? I went and bought yoga pants. Oh, yeah. This fucking podcast because I wanted to. Hey. Um, like, fucking works. Do something good for yourself every single day and then it will become habit yeah right. and then when you do get in those hard days and like i have such an amazing fucking support system thank you for being part of it and a huge consistent thing that people have been telling me is give yourself time mm -hmm. be patient with yourself yeah. and that's the hardest thing that i'm that i'm learning I think yeah right, now. right. yeah because we want a lot of times we know what we want or need to be at but it's it's not an overnight thing to just fix and you know get rid of you know it's something that yeah it's something that you you're constantly working towards like I'm broke as shit right now you know that's something I've been working at for a very long time and I'm stressed out about stressed out about it most of the time I can be very avoidant about it but I know I won't be forever hmm. But that's also why I have to work extra hard. So, um, so Sam, uh, before we close out, I want to know. So I guess like, what are now that you're back in Milwaukee? Or welcome back. We're happy to have you back. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess like, what are some of? I know you're still getting settled. I know you just got your. I just got a fucking mattress. Right, like, just got I'm the still ma getting settled. mattress in the internet, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah, I guess like, what are do you feel like are some of your goals that you hope to like accomplish, like get back into, pick up, like uh, once you are settled and back in Milwaukee? Well, I know that I'm going to be going to Destiny's Feature in a couple weeks mm -hmm. um, at Lyrical Sanctuary at UWM. Um, that is going to be, I think, my very first back in Milwaukee poetry event. I feel like that's a good icebreaker. Yeah. Like, go support the wife, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, that's going to be the first thing, and then there's so many amazing things. Like, Stillwater's Collective that Dasha has is just yeah. fucking amazing. Like, yeah. the, if, you, if you need an event to go to, like, look there. Mm -hmm. um, they do amazing things for the community. There's also, the, there's Voltage, and there's, like, Fantastic, and there's, like, all these different kinds of amazing things. Fantastic is where I got my start, so I'm sure that I'll be making my way back there. Um, and just, like... I'm going to see the different opportunities and then I'm going to see what I can take on. Um, the biggest thing for me right now is I need to start writing again. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, that's, that's the biggest thing that I need to get back on the horse about is writing. Um, and I think that that's something that I've struggled with before is like, I'm still a poet even though I haven't written a poem in three months. Um, so. Writing first, feature second, getting back on stage third. We'd love to see it. Okay. Hmm. So good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. Um, tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night? Probably the fact that I have a really loud street outside my apartment. Loud street, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to live... Um, my last house, I was right by the fire station. Uh, used to get a lot of sirens. Um, 
sometimes at very late hours of the night. Mm-hmm. Not fun. Not mm. fun. Uh, what puts you to sleep, though? Family Guy. <laughs> I'm totally serious. It's like a nostalgia <laughs> thing. If I hear Family Guy in the background, I Oh, I up. love Family yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Still, still golden. And I get stress relief aromatherapy spray from Bath & Body Works. Oh, shout out. It's amazing. Shout out Stress Spray. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for being on the show. Yeah. Had a lot of fun. Um, so uh, check out Sam the Poet. Uh, your work's on Facebook, yeah? Sam- uh, Instagram, at Poetry and Sex. At Poetry and Sex. Yes, that's me. Where, where does that name come from again? Oh, that's a long explanation. Because poetry is like sex. You have to be vulnerable and consensual in it, in the experience. There you go. Yeah. That, that- Gotta be a part of it. Love it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time.